If you have your Bibles with you, open once again to Hebrews chapter 7. Today is part two of the message we started last week, looking at what it means to be a mature Christian. We've been in Hebrews 7, which is contrasting the differences between the priests under uh, the Jewish law versus Jesus, who has become our high priest forever. And the fact that Jesus lives forever and will never die has an incredible amount of significance just in that for those of us who are in Christ. Verses 23 through 25 of Hebrews 7 tells us some of what that means. And that was the main text that we looked at last Sunday. And we're going to be looking at those same verses again today because there's still some more in here that we didn't get to last week. And then another reason we're going to look at it again because this is one of those truths of the gospel that we need to be reminded of over and over every day. I mean, I know I do. So let's all stand together and look at these verses once again. Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 23. It says, The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of who you are and what you have done that you have given us today. And God, I pray that you would open our eyes to it. And Lord, the truth is we could read these verses over and over and over again forever. But unless your Holy Spirit reveals this to us, reveals the truth here, Lord, we'll never see it. And so I'm asking you to come and do that. Lord, I pray that we would see you for who you truly are this morning and that we would leave here changed because of it. Lord, would you be glorified in everything that I say in this time. Lord, even be glorified in our receiving of it and responding to it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So last week I said that there are some common assumptions that are made about what it means to be a mature Christian, especially here in the Bible Belt. And we talked about one of those, which was the assumption that a mature Christian is someone who knows the Bible. And I said that spiritual maturity is not as simple as we sometimes think that it is. And one of the reasons I gave for that was the fact that that assumption right there, that a mature Christian is someone who knows the Bible, is true and not true. If you don't know what the Bible is ultimately about, then that statement won't be true at all. It doesn't matter how much you know the verses in here if you don't know what they are ultimately about. But if you do know what it's all about, then uh, that statement can be true. And we looked at how the whole point of the Bible is not to just follow the commands and instructions that we find in there, but the whole point of this book is to know Jesus. And so we read it for that purpose, to get to know him more. A mature Christian understands this and reads the Bible for that purpose. And now we're going to look at another assumption, 
And this is probably the most popular one in a uh, religious, just church-saturated culture like the one that you and I live in. And it really goes hand-in-hand with the one that we looked at last week because if your view is that the Scriptures terminate on themselves and that the whole point is just for us to follow all the commands and instructions in there, then more than likely you are one of those who make this next assumption, and that is that it has everything to do with changed behavior. That spiritual maturity is marked by how much a person's behavior changes. It's essentially the belief that uh, the better your behavior is, the more spiritually mature you are. And so we'll go, well, I used to cuss all the time, but now I don't cuss near as much as I used to. Or I used to get drunk every weekend, but now I don't drink quite as much. And we'll say that's growth. That's maturity happening there. Well, I used to get real aggressive and angry towards my wife, but now I only blow up when she doesn't listen to me. And so what we do then, you see, we set the bar way down here. And then we get just a little bit above it. We're like, look at there, man. I'm maturing. I'm on my way to the A-team in no time now. We tend to have this perception that spiritual maturity is measured by our behavior modification and how successful and good we are at doing that. And once again, Christian maturity is absolutely changed behavior. And it is absolutely not changed behavior. See, the water is murky. It's not as clear as we want it to be. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And so we'll look at an, an improvement in our behavior and go, now that I'm acting better, I am maturing. Now that could be true. But it is also true that you can change your behavior and it have absolutely nothing to do with Christ or a true knowledge of God. I mean, people do it all the time. You can do life transformation with nothing but just a good bit of sheer willpower. I mean, people do it all the time. There are lots and lots of people who have quit smoking or quit drinking or quit some type of negative behavior and them to have absolutely no relationship with Jesus Christ whatsoever. And so the point of Galatians 2.21 is that righteousness before God cannot be purchased. It cannot be attained simply by us being really good at obeying all the commands. Righteousness is not determined by how righteous you act. Because if it could, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to die. But he did need to die. There was no other option. In order for us to be declared righteous before God, which is what was needed in order for us to be able to be accepted by him, there was no other way for that to happen than for Jesus to take our unrighteousness upon himself and kill it on the cross. You can't earn or attain the distinction of being righteous by anything that you do. Righteousness is something that has to be imputed to you by God, given to you as an act of his incredible grace. Now, 
Will the life of a mature Christian exhibit changed behavior? You bet it will. There will be evidence of maturity in the way that we live, but changed behavior alone does not necessarily mean that maturity is present. So, knowing God's Word and changed behavior both may or may not be signs of spiritual maturity. But is there anything that we can point to that is definite? As in something that can't happen unless we are growing in spiritual maturity. Is there something that mature Christians do that immature Christians just don't? Yes, there is. So we're going to look at those. And there are really three main ones that we're going to look at this morning that are there in your notes if you'd like to follow along with that. And these are all tied to this eternalness, this forever aspect of Jesus that Hebrews 7 is trying to get across. And the first one is this, a mature Christian will know God as the foundation of their deepest joy. They'll know God as the foundation of their deepest joy. Two Sundays ago, I talked about how many people identify as Christian, but in reality, they're just not. And a lot of those people, deep down, they don't really want God. They just want what God can give them. A mature Christian does not use God like a genie in a lamp. And so a lot of folks will go, yeah, I'll take God if he'll help me with my marriage. I'll take God if I can get this girl I'll love God if he can improve my finances. I'll take God if he can fix my kid, heal my sickness, improve my situation, whatever. And those people that do that are exposed every time those things don't happen. And then they get mad at God for betraying them and not giving to them what he promised when he never promised those things to begin with. The goal wasn't ever God but only what God could give. And I would contend that Western culture, especially here in the United States, makes it harder for Christians to grow in spiritual maturity. I mean, in spite of the Christian bookstores that we have all over the place where you can walk in there and find a hundred books on any Christian subject and despite the fact that there seems to be a church around every corner, all that Christianity-saturated stuff is still, even in all of that, it is hard for us to grow in Christian maturity just because of the way our culture is. And the reason why I say that is because we are so prosperous and because we have so much compared to others in the world that it lends itself to us placing our joy more in the material things that we have rather than in whose we are. It's so easy for us to place our joy less in God and more in God's stuff. And that is a very dangerous place to be because the only joy in the entire universe that can't be taken from you is the joy that you can only find in Jesus. Every other joy in this world can be taken from us just like that. And no matter how much you lock it up, 
or try to protect it, stockpile it, defend it. It's like trying to hold water in your hand. You just can't. And people spend their entire lives trying so hard just to hold on to and maintain things that will never last forever and will never fully satisfy. You and I were created with a desire, a yearning that God intentionally placed inside of every one of us that only Jesus can satisfy. And if we aren't finding that in him, then we are automatically going to look for everything else in order to appease that, to, to, to fix that, that yearning, that desire that we have. And every one of those other things that we are looking for that in, they are never guaranteed. You're just not going to find it there. And even if you think that you do have it there, it's not going to last forever. It can be taken from you at any time. It is such good news to know that our salvation in Christ is secure because nothing else in this world is. Nothing. Now, I've done lots of funerals. And many of those funerals have been for someone whose time seemed to be, have been cut way too short. That they were taken way before they should have been. I presided over young wives burying their husbands, young husbands burying their wives, children burying their parents, and parents burying their young children. And when tragedy like that strikes, when you lose your health, when the bank account disappears, when you lose your job, when you're rejected, when, when all you've built your worth on and all that you have stocked your joy in is suddenly stripped from you, then you're in a lot of trouble because your whole identity is lost in a moment. If your greatest joy is in your spouse, what happens when they die or can no longer do for you those things that made you think they were your greatest joy. I mean, your whole life is wrecked. If your greatest joy is in your children, what happens if something happens to one of them? And I know that just the thought of that is too much for some of us. And look, I, I know that Thinking about losing your children is, is an unthinkable thought to even begin to entertain for, for a lot of us. And also know that for some of you in here, that's not just a thought. You've experienced it firsthand in real life. And I cannot pretend to know the pain that that caused you. And in no way am I trying to discount that. But I do believe that my job before the Lord is to speak truth to you in love. And sometimes truth is hard to hear. And that truth is the fact that no matter how much we love something or love someone, no matter how important someone is to us, nothing we have in this world is guaranteed. Nothing. 
Everything we have can be taken in a second. And if those things or those people serve as the sole foundation of our deepest joy, that is an unhealthy and unsafe place to be. The good news of the gospel is that in Jesus, God has provided an inexhaustible, endless resource of everlasting joy. In a world where nothing lasts forever, he has provided us something that will. That will. He does. And in the face of his glory, when we see him for who he truly is, everything else in this world that we think is so important suddenly doesn't seem to be as much anymore. Everything that we place such a high value on begins to lose its luster. When we see him for who he truly is. Like the words in that old hymn say, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's why one of the things that you hear me say a lot every time I pray you heard it just a while ago as I ask God would you just let us see you for who you really are because I know that if we do there is nothing else greater and then it changes us and it gives us the right perspective of everything else in life if Jesus is the foundation of your greatest joy that does not mean that there won't be hurt when you experience loss. There still will be. What it does mean is that no matter what loss we experience or situation that we face, those things will push us more towards Jesus rather than away from him. It means that if you lose your job, that will push you more towards him. If you lose your health, that sickness will push you more towards Jesus. If you lose a loved one, that pain of that loss will push you more towards him rather than away from him because you're mad at him. If Jesus is the foundation of your greatest joy, all circumstances in life will push us closer and closer to him. And that can never be taken away from you when everything else in this world can so the first definitive sign of Christian maturity is that a mature Christian will set their joy fully on Christ. He is their greatest treasure. And then the second one is this. The mature Christian will place their confidence in Christ alone. Verse 25 says, therefore, he is able. He is able, not you. You are not able. I'm sorry, you're just not. And another reason many of us lack maturity is that we are way too confident in ourselves, in our own ability. And for those of you whom God loves deeply, he will eventually expose your confidence in you so that you can then see where your confidence needs to be placed. And this is yet another example of how it can be hard to grow in spiritual maturity here in the United States, because here, a lot comes easy to us. A lot of things, they just work well for us. 
And my concern is that because of that, some of us won't hit that spot of realizing where all our confidence needs to be placed in Jesus. Because when stuff comes as easy as they do here in our culture, it's easy to get seduced into believing that uh, your strength is adequate when it simply is not. How do I know this is true? I know it's true for one because we just don't pray very well. Prayer is one of those things in our culture today that we seem to take so lightly and flippantly and have this attitude of, you know what, prayer, yeah, it's good, but I can, I can take it or leave it. I can have it or not in my life. It's because we don't see the need of it because we have so much and because things do come so easy to us. I also know it's true because we don't run to the scriptures for a fresh perspective of who Jesus is so that our hearts may be stirred to worship him more fully. And I know that it's true because I watch us as we walk through suffering and difficulty and feel betrayed when circumstances don't go our way. Many of us are not growing in maturity in this area because of the way our culture just prevents us from seeing how desperately we need Jesus every single day. I mean, things just come so easy to us. It causes us to become complacent in things, especially in our own ability. And we don't see our, our need for him. I'll show you what I'm talking about. How comfortable are y'all in here right now? Anybody too hot? Anybody too cold? Everybody was freezing in the first service this morning. Anybody too cold? Well, either one. If you're too hot or too cold, not a problem. We'll just walk right over here to any of these thermostats on the wall and change the temperature for you. Problem fixed. Anybody have a headache? I bet I could find at least 20 women who have either an aspirin, an ibuprofen, or something in their purse that they'll let you have. You hungry? You can pull out of this parking lot and turn in either direction, right or left, and just a matter of minutes, you'll find either a restaurant, a grocery store, a quick stop, somewhere that has plenty of food. You don't have any cash on you? It's not a problem anymore either. These plastic cards everybody takes now, all you got to do is swipe. You feeling sad? I'll just get Darren and the praise team back up here, and they'll sing an upbeat song for you to put you in a better mood. You feeling depressed, anxious, hyper, run down, tired, or in a lot of pain? Well, guess what? We now have a pill for every one of those things. And any one of us can find a doctor that will write you a pres- prescription for whatever need that you have. You need some information on something that you know absolutely nothing about, what are you going to do? Google it. Right there in your hand. No matter where you are. Instant information. You See what I mean? I mean, I could go on and on with things that just come easy for us and because they come so easy and because we have so much compared to everyone else in the world that we don't really see the need for us 
to have to rely on Jesus and place all of our confidence in him because we've got it now in so many other things. What if God, because of his grace and mercy, and because he loves us so much and he wants us to see him for who he truly is, what if he decided to just take all of that away from us so that we could? It would not surprise me if God decided to bring this supposedly Christian nation to its knees. To bring us out of our complacency and false confidence. I mean, he does that with individuals all the time. Anybody have anything suddenly taken away from you and it enabled you to to know God more? Yeah. He does it with us all the time because it's just his grace and his love wanting us to know him more and remove some things that sometimes keep us from doing that. But I, I wouldn't put it past him for him to do that to us as a nation. And if that were to to happen, either to you as an individual or collectively, as a people, where would you be? How prepared would your heart be for something like that? Are you already so confident in him and so dependent on him that something like that happens you wouldn't be shaken at all? Or would your whole world completely fall apart because your confidence is in so much else? I'm going to read verse 25 again because this is one of the most powerful truths expressed in all the Bible. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He saves forever. This is not you losing your salvation and then getting it back over and over again. This is him securing your salvation for eternity. He ensures our salvation to the end because he constantly, I talked about this last time, goes before the Father on our behalf, proving our innocence And because of that, here is the other mark of Christian maturity. A mature Christian will run to to Jesus instead of away from him when they fall. I've talked about this before, but we can't be reminded of it enough. How so many of us, whenever we do fall in sin, our initial reaction tends to be to just run away from God and, and, and hide. It's the same way Adam and Eve did when they originally sinned. We feel ashamed and unworthy to even attempt to come near to God or to call on Him or or to come into His presence in any way. And then for us to be able to do all that again, we'll think, well, we've got to do something. We've got to make amends or or earn that right. We've got to, to, to get our stuff together, clean ourselves up. Or prove just how sorry we are and then God might take us back. But there's also another reason why we tend to hide. And it has to do with our misconception of who God 
is and what he's really like. Several years ago, we took in a, a stray dog that we had found in the woods out in the middle of nowhere. You may remember telling me, me telling you about her many years ago, Bridget. She was an old Catahoula stray. And you could tell that she had been abused at some point because she was so scared to come near to us. She was very reluctant at first, but she was also starving to death. And so her need for food just kind of overrode all her fears that she had, and she began to, to come closer to us as we would give her some food. Well, we eventually brought her home and took good care of her, and pretty soon, over time, she began to trust us more and more. But you could tell that she had really been beaten by whoever had her before because anytime someone was raised their hand around her, she would immediately cower and run away. Like she had seen that movement before and it didn't end well for her. And there were times where one of us would be near, either me or one of the kids, and we'd just open our arms out like this, like we were just wanting to hug on her and love on her. But as soon as she saw those hands begin to go up, she was out of there. Because of her orphan mentality, the way that she had thought for so long, and because of the bad experience that she had had before, it caused her to interpret our actions as the exact opposite of what they actually were. I believe that is a great illustration of how many people relate to God. You see, when we fall in sin, just like a good father does whenever his children fall and hurt themselves or get into some type of trouble... He is there with his arms open, wanting us to, to come to him, to come to him. And because of that same orphan mentality that, that we had, that we carried around for so long and lived with before Jesus brought it in, and because of some of the bad experiences that we have had in life, either with our parents or, or someone else, we assume the exact opposite of God reaching out to us and think that he's mad at us or that he's looking to punish or shun or reject us in some way. And so our reaction is to run away and hide and try to fix things ourselves. A mature Christian will run to him because they understand the true nature of the Father, that he is good and that he can be trusted. A mature Christian knows that they can't do anything to clean themselves up, that only Jesus can clean them, and so it only makes sense that when you get dirty to go to the only source where you can get clean. They understand that he always lives to make intercession for them before the Father. That's someone who knows Jesus and understands the gospel better than most. The whole point of Hebrews chapter 7 is to just drive home this fact that Jesus lives forever. And because he lives forever, our salvation is secure. And because he lives forever, he is the endless resource of our deepest joy. And because he lives forever, we can run to him forever and he'll never turn us away. The mature and redeemed think this way. And many of us may not fully be there right now. And I'm not saying that we think this way every time one of these situations comes up. But we should be headed in that direction. And so this morning, every one of you have to answer for yourself. Where are you in your Christian maturity? 
I am not asking you how well you know the Bible or how moral you live, how good you are at avoiding sin. I'm asking, what are you really after? What is the source of your deepest joy? What are you attaching it to? How confident are you in you versus Jesus? How you answer those questions will indicate where you are on your level of maturity. Some of you may have even realized this morning that you may not be quite as spiritually mature as you thought you were because you were measuring that by all those other indicators. Thought, yeah, I know the Bible better than a lot of people do, and I'm live morally better than a lot of people do, but I don't find my joy fully in Jesus. My confidence is not fully in Him. And a lot of times I think I've got to make up for the things that I've done in order for Him to like me. I'm telling you, if God's revealing that to you, that you're not as mature as you thought you were, that's a very good thing. That is a very good thing because that is His, that is his grace and His mercy showing you where you actually are. So that he can then take you where he wants to. Because if we don't know where we are, it's hard to know where we're going. So that's been my prayer this morning, that the Holy Spirit would do that in a lot of us. Because God wants, us to, wants to take us there. He wants us to know him, know him more fully. And it is the greatest experience and adventure that we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that, God, you are an endless resource, that you never end. Your grace never ends. Your love and your mercy, they never end. Your holiness, your goodness never ends. Your trustworthiness never ends. Your faithfulness never ends. It goes on forever. And, God, we confess that as people, we have put our confidence, our joy, our our complete identity in things that don't last forever, that aren't guaranteed by you. So, God, I'm asking you to just show us how foolish that is when you have given us everything that we need for whatever it is that we're trying to fix or chase after. Lord, we confess that when things haven't gone our way, we've suffered a great pain that we have resented you for it when you never promised those things we would have forever in the first place. And so, Lord, I pray for those that may be in that place this morning where that bitterness towards you has just been eating at them for so long. God, that you would show them that you are a good father who can be trusted and that you want nothing but their best. And everything that you do in their life is for that end. Lord, I pray for those who may not really be sold out completely on you, but just more interested in what you can give them. Lord, would you bring them to that place of complete surrender 
and realize that you are their only hope. God, help us all to just want to grow in knowing you more. Lord, let us not be content where we are in our knowledge of you. Or give us a greater desire just to know you more rather than a greater desire of having more stuff. So Holy Spirit, come and do the work that you desire to do in our hearts through your word that you have given us this morning. And we will give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.